I was uh, impressed when I pulled up and, and saw the facility. You know, through many years I've driven around through Downey, but never really recognized this church. And uh, when I was in prayer uh, this evening, which I recommend you come and make every effort before every service, that uh, when I came, I started to realize how many prayers have been offered in this place. You know, the, I don't know how old this, anybody know how old this church is? I don't know how long it's been here. But, uh, you know, we had a facility in Dallas that we pastored our church that was built in, what was it, honey, 19, did you say 14? Or 1915. And uh, through those years, many great names went through there. And any of you that are familiar with names such as A. Allen, Shambach, and, and uh, Tilton, you know, they went through that ministry there. And uh, I, can, I can tell you that uh, if you tap into this well that's been dug, and, uh, you know, Isaac redug wells after the Philistines uh, filled up those wells that Abraham, his father, had, had dug. And every church that's been established, there's deep wells in there. And if you dig them, you'll, you'll see that. And I, and I suggest you do that in prayer. Come, let the Lord help you. There's a lot of families that want to come here and uh, they don't know you're, you're here. Let them know. Hallelujah. And, and uh, come to Jesus. And let me take a few minutes. Uh, and talk to you about last time I spoke to you. I don't remember when that was. <laughs> Anybody know? <laughs> you know, it's been a few months. Um, uh, but I was here, uh, but uh, I spent a few months in Europe. Um, went to Romania. Last time I was there, I did a funeral. I've been invited to pre- uh, preach at a church. When I got there, they told me they were having a funeral. So they asked me, they said, Pastor, can you do the funeral? I said, sure. So I did the funeral. And, and in the funeral, there was a mayor that sat there and, uh, and he was just uh, touched by the message and invited me to go to his village. Uh, he told me he was gonna put up a tent of about 500 or so that it would hold and that he would uh, do all possible within his authority and he did. And we filled it up and, and, uh, and uh, people got saved. Uh, we had baptisms uh, after the services that we had and people got healed in that wonderful crusade that we did uh, there in Bucharest, Romania, and it was wonderful. Um, after that, uh, I took a trip to uh, Estonia, uh, and uh, the trip in Estonia uh, was the hotel that I was at was filled with uh, 60 to 70 percent Ukrainian families. When I checked into the hotel, I saw kids everywhere, and uh, the kids that were everywhere, I, I mentioned to the brother that took me, I said, man, did you see all the children? And uh, there was children everywhere. They were laid out in the hallway and beyond. And uh, they were taking in families because the war is still on, whether you know it or not. You, your, your news networks may not promote it as much, but the war in Ukraine rages. It rages. I mean that sincerely. There's people fleeing. And so uh, I went around talking to people. And I was remember, you know, I remember with Tito, one day we were outreaching in Estonia and, uh, you know, they speak English, or rather Russian and Estonian, but uh, I went out and none of them were listening to me, so I started talking in Spanish. And so Tito tells me, Dad, they don't, they don't understand Spanish. I go, they don't understand English. Vale, hallelujah. Amen. I'm viento ahí. Hallelujah. And I did. And, and uh, just, uh, but people did get saved. Uh, I went around talking to people in that hotel and we had three Ukrainian families that came to our prayer meeting. We did a prayer meeting and Talon, Estonia, and uh, those three families, oh my God, do you know, folks, prayer means a whole lot when you need it. Yes, amen. When, when you're sick, when your house has been destroyed, when, when you, you don't know what's happened with your husband or your son, and, and the law of the land of Ukraine is from 16 to 60, men cannot leave. It's martial law. You have to fight. And they're fighting the Federation of Russia. And uh, I was so privileged and honored to pray with many of those families, not just with, with, the, with the Ukrainians, but, but with the Estonians who are dealing 
being married to Russians uh, that are divided right now. R Russians and Estonians, families are divided because of the war uh, that's going on with the Federation of Russia and, uh, and Ukraine. Uh, I returned to Romania and uh, did uh, uh, weekly Bible studies with Ukrainian families. Uh, when uh, Gabriel was in Germany, he connected with, uh, I, I don't know the name of the church that you were attending. What was the name of it? Yeah, Multinations. Uh, Pastor Rodrigo has a ministry all for nations. And uh, what, uh, what happened is that the pastor that took over the church that Melinda and I had started years ago, uh, he, he, he went to the border. As soon as the war broke out, he went to the border. Romania borders Ukraine. So it's about two and a half hours, three hours from where we live in our apartment there. And so he went to the border. And when he went to the border, he met, he saw Rodrigo there. Rodrigo's from, uh, what is it? Uh, I forget where he's from. Brazil. And uh, they, they saw one another. They connected. And, and they started to just converse. And so what happened is through that, this relationship, uh, the pastor Nixon, his name is Agostin, we call him Nixon, he became the coordinator for All for AIDS ministry. And so out of that connection, uh, we have uh, three homes that uh, we have. We have about 100 uh, Ukrainians that we're helping in Romania. There's over a million Roman, uh, Ukrainians that are in Romania right now. Uh, over one million, almost two million in Poland. Uh, others scattered in other countries. And so uh, it's been a fruitful, it was a fruitful trip. Uh, but every week I would go and I would talk to Ukrainians. Uh, and uh, initially when I first went, there was such a fear. Now, even as you guys are sitting right here, you have to understand this. I'm, I'm in a house and I'm talking to these families. And, uh, and so Nixon tells me, and a helicopter flew over, and they all began to shake. And, and so Nixon has to tell him, it's okay. You're in Romania. No bombs are going to fall. I mean, you know, when you come out of that kind of setting, folks, and, and uh, you need prayer. And, uh, and, and I remember, uh, you know, praying with these Ukrainian families and thinking to myself, Lord, help us to do our part. There's a lot of humanitarian aid arriving at the borders. There's stockpiles of, of clothes and, and uh, needs for the children. But let me tell you what we need, folks. And I need you to say amen when I say it. We need the Lord of the harvest to bring workers. Amen. That's what we need. I, I told Nixon, you know, I said, what I want to do is go to the border, set up a prayer booth. I'll pray with many people as I can. You know, because they're just like you. They're just like me. I was ministering to the Ukrainians. This guy tells me, you know, to pray for his wife. But about two or three weeks later, after I go there every week to talk to him, he tells me, oh, yeah, we're not married. I go, you're not married? I go, then you're a liar. You lied to me. And he, and he looked at me and, you know, kind of like in shock because I called him a liar. I said, you're a liar and you're a fornicator. You need to repent. And he did. He put his head down and repented. And I said, son, I said, you could have died in Ukraine when that bomb fell, you know, over your house. They showed me pictures, live videos of their houses exploding. And, you know, I mean, they're cursing President Putin. They're cursing him. They're saying, I curse President Putin that he go to hell. And, and so I'm trying to reach him and with God's forgiveness and love and mercy. And folks, I can tell you right now that uh, in the United States of America, you're in a good place. Can you say Amen. This is a good weekend. You know, I don't know how many years ago I, I walked through the streets of Seattle, Washington, holding the American flag as, as part of the Marine Corps uh, color team, uh, color guard team. And uh, I, I was thinking about that and, and walking through that. And I told my wife, I didn't realize what great honor I had been given. 
you know, being part of my dress blues and walking through Seattle, you know, with the with the bands playing and and you know, and here I am and they're playing the Marine Corps anthem and uh, I'm 19, 20 years old. But uh, you know, now that I look back and I realize what a great land we live in, what great freedom we have. Hallelujah. What great freedom we have in America. I don't know about you, but I, I'm glad to be here in America, man. I, I am. I, I'm so blessed. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love working missions, but are you kidding? Every time I come to America, oh, me gusta. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, I, I'm looking for a taqueria right away. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I do thank you for your prayers. Uh, we're, me and Melinda are looking to, I was telling to Jeremy, we're, we're trying to get back, uh, Lord willing, you know, sometime in maybe late September, October. I don't know if the war is going to calm down. Dr. Daniel Chen, uh, I hope one day he, I did tell him about your church. I hope he comes visit you. Uh, I told, he called me as I was coming to, to L.A. And, and he said that uh, he has a lady in his church. They want to go visit Estonia and they, and they want to minister to the Ukrainians. So we're kind of coordinating that. But Dr. Chen told me, he said, I, I want to wait till the war ends. I said, Dr. Chen, it may be a while. This thing may be a while. We just got to somehow go. Just go. I'm not, I don't kid myself. I told my son Tito, I said, yeah, I said, there was not a lot of people on the plane. He says, dad, who wants to go there? <laughs> right? But the way I see it, I've given my life to Jesus and the devil should have killed me when he had a chance. <laughs> he should have done me in when I was loaded on the Long Beach freeway. <laughs> he should, you know, instead of saying, well, you should have been in prison. I, you know, I should have been. I just never got caught like some of you. <laughs> It's not that we didn't break the law. We broke it. We just didn't get caught, you know. And, uh, and uh, God's been good to us, and I thank God. Please pray for us, uh, the freedoms that we have in America. And I remember looking back and carrying the American flag down the streets of Seattle, Washington, on a July 4th celebration. This is a, a weekend of freedom. This is a weekend of celebrating that as Americans we can be grateful. I don't know where you come from. You may be from uh, South America, Central America, for whatever country you, you're from. I know this. People are trying to get in by the millions for a reason. There's, there's a blessing here. And uh, we thank God. I, I want to say a quick prayer and, and hand it over to whoever's going to come up. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the United States of America. We thank you for the freedom that is among us. And we are mindful, Lord, of the war in Ukraine and the Federation of Russia. And we commit to you, President Zelensky and Putin. And we pray for all authorities in place there, Lord, over the governments. We ask you to help us, to bless us, to do our part in prayer and, and doing all that we can to further the gospel of this great commission you've bestowed upon the church. We commit all this to you and pray your blessings tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, man. Uh, one of the things I want you to know is that this is, this is something that's, this is what we're about. You know, we believe in missions. We believe in reaching out to the community around us. But, uh, you know, you, some of you know our story, our background, you know our hearts that we believe in, in reaching uh, globally. And so I want all of you to be aware that if you feel like, man, I want to help Pastor Robert, I want to help them in what they're doing in Europe, uh, you can go to their website, praisechapeleurope.com, um, and you can give to them directly. It's actually praisechapeleurope.org, okay, .org. There's a link, I believe, on our website, but it's praisechapeleurope.org, and you can give directly to what they're doing. 
And the reason I say that is because there are times when you're like, man, that's awesome. Like, I like what they're doing. But to support them is a big deal because they don't get paid. You know? <laughs> like, like, this is what they do, and, and they need support. And so when people, when you give, it goes to that. It goes to all the stuff that's going on over there. And so for me, I always want to encourage you that if you feel like, man, I, I want to give to that, do it. Do it. Be part of what God is doing. Partner with it financially. Look at it as something, an extension of our church, an extension of yourself, and saying that I can't go there. I got to be here, but I want to give to it. I want to be part of what's going on there. And uh, all of heaven rejoices in all the stuff that's going on, man. There's just some good stuff going on. And uh, yeah, and I also do want to say that, you know, let's let's be mindful of all the stuff still in Ukraine. You know, the conversations I've had with some of you guys that are asking about like, you know, hey, what's going on over there? You know, it's still going on. Guys, we live in a great country and we live in a country where we don't we don't even think about these issues. We don't. (laughs) And that's our blessing. Honestly, that's we walk in that blessing. But there's a reality that the whole world is not like this. Okay. Our big deal is like, man, this, the line at Starbucks is long today. That's our big deal. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, oh, the world's going to end. You know, like, and, and that's us. That's American. And, but the reality is that there's a lot of stuff going on globally. And so to pay attention to it, uh, keep, keep my parents in prayer. You know, that's a, that's a big thing. Pray for them daily. Um, I'm excited to get started on this series. I told Vanessa, uh, I said, uh, this is, I'm geeking out with this one. I'm like, oh, dude, there's so many things to go. And so I really was just excited to kind of dive in. But I do want to start in a way that's very simple and, and clear. Uh, I do want to pray. But I also want to mention that, you know, he's mentioning uh, Tito. That's my brother. So that's not my nickname. So don't go around like, oh, you're Tito. No, that's my brother. It's not my name. <laughs> so he says his son, it's not me. It's my older brother who's much larger than me. <laughs> Say that into the camera. <laughs> much larger, very much larger. All right. So anyway, uh, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord. Just, just Holy Spirit for being here. We welcome you. Uh, we ask you just to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we, we want you. We want you. We want you to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to be with us in every single word that is spoken, in every single conversation we have in this place. Lord, for all the people going through something right now, Holy Spirit, just begin to, to touch our hearts. Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of our life. You are Lord of this church. You are Lord over all that we speak. We submit to what you want. Heavenly Father, we pray right now for our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are not able to meet like this, who are persecuted just because they love the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for them. We are mindful of them. We pray for those that are in prison, that they would know today that we are praying for them from Los Angeles, California, from this this church here, that we are praying for them, that they would know that they'd be encouraged, that they would have peace, that they would have joy in whatever situation they're doing. Holy Spirit, we ask it as we read the text that you would give us the wisdom to not only understand it, but to apply it. We thank you for all you have done, all you are doing, and all you are going to do. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So disciple, okay? That's what we're talking about. And like I said, I, I kind of geeked out with this. I got excited about it because there's, there's something that, there's, there's, a, there's a clarity that we have to have as Christians in who we are and what we do. 
Okay, um, there's a lot of different churches, a lot of different organizations, a lot of different teachings, but there's one thing that we follow. Every single Christian in every single church is defined by one thing, and that is the Bible. Okay, the Bible gives us the direction and the clarity and the definition. So if we're not following the Bible, if you go to a church and they say like, oh, we like the Bible, but we follow this book, <laughs> then you know this is not a good church. I'm leaving because there is no other book that is more important than the Bible. If you walk into a church and they say, oh, we like the Bible, but we like Oprah's books more, you know, the, and then, you know, that's a cult. That's weird. <laughs> you know, there's, so there's an understanding that we are looking at the scripture to bring definition in how we walk and how we move forward and how we grow as a Christian. So I'm excited about this because we get to look at uh, the, the disciples and how the application of what they did, how they lived, who they, you know, pursued, obviously, Jesus, and how that applies to us. And there's some uh, healthy things and some very encouraging things when you realize that the disciples were not perfect people. You'll read that and you'll be like, man, they're, they're, kind, of, they're kind of wild. <laughs> they're kind of messed up. You know, and you realize, okay, so if they could do it, <laughs> I could do it. And that's where that says this is an encouraging place. Uh, but I want to read this first. And this is what we're talking about today. A disciple abides in the words of Jesus. Okay. Loves other believers, disciples, and aims to become a friend of Jesus. So a disciple abides in the words of Jesus, loves other believers, disciples, aims to become a friend of Jesus. So if you're looking at what is a disciple, a disciple looks like that. that. That's what someone says. I'm a disciple of Jesus, you know, and they never read their Bible. They're not a disciple. Okay. I'm a disciple of Jesus, but I hate every other Christian. They're not a disciple. Okay. If, if uh, uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but you know, Jesus is kind of just a good thought. He's a metaphor. You know, all of us, all roads lead to Rome. No, they're not a disciple. Okay, the biblical definition and direction of disciple is this. They abide in the words of Jesus. They, they love other believers or disciples, and they aim to become a friend of Jesus. So I want to look at this uh, kind of a snapshot of the disciples, okay? The men that walked with Jesus. So the first one was Simon Peter, okay? Simon Peter, and, th and this is something that uh, you may be familiar with, may maybe not. Maybe this is totally new to you, and this is going to be kind of a lot, but we're not, we're not going to, I'm not trying to give you all this information, just leave you there with it. As we go through this series, we're going to clarify and kind of uh, dial in a little bit more. But Simon Peter, he was the first disciple. He was a rough, raw dude, okay? He was, he was just like, like, you know, he's the one that, uh, you know, he, he was rude, you know, a little bit brash. You know, he would say things, do things. Uh, he cut a, guy, a guy's ear off. <laughs> That's in the Bible. You know, he, he cut a guy's ear off. Think about that. A disciple of Jesus cut a guy's ear off. Okay. Only because he missed. <laughs> he was aiming for the neck. Okay. Think about that. <laughs> he cut a guy's ear off only because he didn't hit his neck. So this is a disciple of Jesus. This is who this guy was. And, and he, he walked on water with Jesus. This is the same guy. He walked on water with Jesus. And then he almost drowned because he got scared. <laughs> so you're looking at this guy. He did these amazing things and had like really high highs and really low lows. 
It was like he was with Jesus. He, he denied that he even knew Jesus. He was in the situation, and it says that basically he denied him three times. They were like, you know Jesus. And he was like, no, I don't. <laughs> they legit, this is what happened. Hey, don't you, aren't you with Jesus? Nah, man, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Literally, that's what he was doing. Deny Jesus, and then we see that he became a central figure in the early church. So here you have this guy, Peter, the first disciple. This is kind of who he was. Rough, raw. And then we, we go to this other guy, Judas. Everyone know Judas? You know that name? He betrayed Jesus for money. And he was a disciple. He betrayed Jesus for money. He, he wanted money instead of his relationship with Jesus. We find that he committed suicide. The Bible, the Bible shows us that he committed suicide. After the betrayal, he was replaced by a guy named Matthias. Okay, so here we have these two guys already that it's just like, man, what is this situation? <laughs> then you got James. James and John were brothers. James was martyred by King Herod. He was killed, murdered, because he was a follower of Jesus. Okay, John, it says, and, and this, is, this is where people are like, um, you know, it's, it's funny when people talk about fairness. You know, well, that's not fair. God, that's not fair. And, but the scripture teaches us that Jesus had a favorite disciple. <laughs> His name was John. He was Jesus' favorite. When, when Jesus was on the cross, John took, took in Jesus' mother, Mary. And, she, and it says that she became part of his household. So this was Jesus' favorite disciple. It says it in the Bible. So does Jesus have favorites? It says it. <laughs> so I, I don't know. You know, when you're like, that's not fair. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Andrew. Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. And this is where it's interesting. It's, it's clear that Andrew was being discipled by John the Baptist. And then it says that he left John the Baptist and went with Jesus. So he initially wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. And then when Jesus comes along and, and he meets Jesus, he starts following Jesus. Like, he was like, oh, forget John the Baptist. I'm going with Jesus. You know, that's what he did. Um, he referred Peter to Jesus. He's the one that literally told Simon Peter, hey, come meet Jesus. And then we see that Jesus, you know, calls Peter to walk with him. Um, and then Philip recognizes Jesus. He's, he's someone that asks good questions. And then we have this guy, Thomas. Thomas is uh, known in the Bible as, as, well, known kind of when you're teaching about Thomas, there's always this, this thought given about him that he was called Doubting Thomas because he was the one that said, uh, Jesus, is that really you? If it's really you, let me see your scars. He wanted to actually touch them. What a sick guy, you know, like, let me see your scars, let me touch them. You know, like, think about it. He, this is who Thomas was. Thomas was someone that they called Doubting Thomas. He asked to see the scars. But you know something I do, something about Thomas that I do want to point out before we go further. In John 11, 8 and 16, um, it says this. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get up there, but John 11, 8 and 16, it says that the followers said to him, Teacher, the Jews tried to throw stones at you to kill you not long ago. Are you going there again? So here's the scripture, okay? They're saying to Jesus, they just tried to kill you. They, they just tried to stone you. Stoning was literally kill. Like, they were trying to kill Jesus. So they tell him, you know, are you going there again? Like, essentially, why would you go back to the place, Jesus, where they were just trying to kill you? 
So this is what's going on here, right? And then Thomas in verse 16, uh, yeah, so Thomas called the twin, it, essentially we think he's a twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, I'll say it like this, he was down for whatever. He was like, he was the guy that was like, let's go. Like, you know, we're going to die. Let's go die. This is Thomas. But he was the one that I want to see the scar. I want to touch the scars. And this was Thomas. And so you have all these guys. They, they were different personalities, unique in their approaches. They had these perspectives of life that from, from their uh, childhood that brought them into a place of all these different ways and understanding different things. But they came to Jesus and they're following him and they're with him. Then you got Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. Now, the tax collectors in the time were horrible people. So everybody hated them. So what they would do was they would go into an area and they would say, for example, you guys are, are working and, I, and like, say I'm a tax collector. I would go to you and say, oh, you owe the government 10 or uh, 20%. Okay. So then you're like, I have to pay the government 20%. And you're like, yes, you do. And then you realize later that the government was only charging 5%. And so the tax collector would be like, you owe 20%. And he would take 15%, pocket it, and then pay the rest to the government. So this is the type of guy Matthew was. <laughs> he was a shady guy. And then he's, he's a tax collector turned follower of Jesus. And we assume that he changed his ways because he was with Jesus. <laughs> you know, he, he changed. And then there's these other four. So that's eight of the disciples. There's these other four. And... Uh, the truth is that we don't know much about them. That's the Bible does not have much information about them. Uh, it's Bartholomew, Thaddeus or Jude, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot. And these four, there's just not a lot of information about them, but we do know they were disciples of Jesus. So I'm saying all that so that you would know that there were 12 disciples. This is who they were. They were not perfect men. And so I'm saying that so that when we, we understand that as we are being disciples of Jesus, we're saying that I'm going to follow Jesus. We look to the guys who were actually there with him, walking with him, eating with him. You know, they would go hang out. They were not perfect. So this is encouraging to me because <laughs> it's like, man, you read about these guys. They were not perfect, but they knew Jesus. Now, the word itself, disciple, it's defined like this, a personal follower of Jesus during his life, especially one of the 12 apostles. A second definition is a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. So these are, these are just generic definitions of the word disciple. So the Greek word is, and it's M-A-T-H-I-T-I-S, mathetis. Okay? This is the Greek word of disciple. The term disciple, it comes from that which generally means, okay, the term disciple generally means one who engages in learning through instruction from another, a pupil or apprentice. Okay? So this is the term disciple. Or in religious contexts such as the Bible, one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a, a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views disciple, adherent, the word disciple comes into English usage by the way of Latin discipulus, meaning a learner, but given its biblical background should not be confused with the more common English word student. So it's essentially different than student. And I'm going to explain why. Okay. So disciples, I want to say this, 
are not exclusive to Christianity. You can be a disciple of something else. So as Christians, we are disciples of Jesus. But you can be a disciple of Oprah. You think I'm kidding. You can be a disciple of Oprah. You begin to only listen to what they say, only follow what they say. All, everything is influenced by what they do, the way they live, the way they speak, what they say to read. You can be a disciple of something other than Jesus. Okay, Disciples are found in the world outside of the Bible. That's the truth. Some, uh, you know, you, you can think of the, um, I think of it like this. When, when there's younger, like a younger teenage a group and they're really into like remember Justin Bieber was like people fainted when they saw him right but the reality was this that that there was almost like a disciple of Justin Bieber they they did their hair like him they did what he did said what he said you know everything was about him and there's a reality that like that's what it looks like outside of the Christian context disciples can look and be something other than following Jesus uh, uh, the the Greek uh, ancient Greek philosophers, disciples learned by imitating the teacher's entire way of life, not just by remembering the spoken words of the teacher. Now, this is where it's interesting, because as Christians, we read the Bible, we gather our information from the word, and then we live by that. But what, what's going on here is it's saying the entire way of life. So almost like this, how did Jesus respond or how did Jesus act when he got angry? Because we read some of the words that he taught us, but then we can look at some of his responses in his emotional state. So he's, saying, he's angry. How did Jesus respond? And that's how we as disciples begin to learn this is how we should respond. Okay, it's an entire way of life and not just by remembering the spoken words of the teacher. Now, this is an example where they're saying this. The first century philosopher Seneca appeals to the living voice and intimacy of common life of the disciple-teacher relationship of many different philosophers. He says this, that there's a particular figure could not have been the express image of Zeno if he had merely heard his lectures. He also shared in his life, saw into his hidden purposes, and watched him to see whether he lived according to his own rules. Plato, Aristotle, and the whole throng of sages who were destined to go each his different way derived more benefit from the character than from the words of Socrates. Okay, so what he's saying is this. You can look at a past setup of people following philosophers and understand that they not only listened to the words, they looked at their entire lifestyle and said, let's live like that. And then are they practicing what they preached? Is what they're saying, is there, what's the, what did they really mean by saying that? And you see that in the scriptures when the, when the disciples would ask Jesus outside of a setting, what did you mean? Or what did this mean when you said? Okay, this is a disciple. Disciples looking for clarity, looking for depth in the meaning. Disciple from the Latin discipulus translates uh, the New Testament. Uh, we said mathetes, which as at, it root, at its root means learner or apprentice. The word is used 261 times in the New Testament, all of which appear in the Gospels and in the Acts of the Apostles. So 261 times in the New Testament, the word disciple is used. Okay, saying all that to bring us into this place of clarity that there are simple contemporary definitions and explanations of the word disciple. 
Jesus gave us the clarity, okay, for us as Christians. Now, this is where I would say to you, uh, and, and whether this sounds like occultic, I don't know, but I'm going to say to you this, from the Bible, we get our definition. If you get your definition from somewhere else, you're wrong, okay? And, and you know, whatever, get angry, mad, sure. But what I'm saying to you, Jesus defined it for us. The internal definition for us, okay, where we're saying, what is a disciple, Jesus? Jesus teaches us in John 8, 31 through 32. <clears throat> so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let me say it like this. This is who Jesus says is a disciple. This is not who I say. This is not who the church says. This is not who any uh, major famous preacher says. This is directly coming from Jesus. And everybody that is a Christian or disciple of Jesus agrees with this and says yes, because we follow Jesus and Jesus said it. So Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. New Living Translation says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Okay, New International Version says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Message says, then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. So what I like to say is like this, the internal definition that we should hold on to where we examine our own lives. This is not about anybody else. This is not about looking around and saying like, oh, well, they're not, you know, hey, they, uh, this is about you. This is about saying, are you living by this definition? And the question to you look at yourself, how can you examine your life to see if you are a disciple? You look at what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. There's simple clarity there. Okay. So no one tells you you are a disciple. No one, no one goes to you and defines it for you because Jesus already defined it. And you know that this is what I look against. This is what I examine in my own life. Am I looking at the words that Jesus said? Am I looking at the word and trying to understand who Jesus is? And am I living by that? And that's the clarity of the internal definition. Okay? So for you and your examination into your life, and again, this is not for you to, you know, <laughs> Go to somebody else. You know, are you living by the word, brother? <laughs> like, this, this is not about you going to somebody else. This is internal definition. Because this is how you know. And this is what we want to equip you with, that you would know. Okay, that you would not be like someone, I don't know, I, I think I am. You know, I read the Bible. I don't know. But that's the thing. You got to learn to be clear in that I am following Jesus. I am a disciple of him because I read and I live in the word that Jesus spoke. Okay. Now we get to the external definition, meaning this is not, this is not, again, this is where you're like, you are like, oh, okay. So I can judge others. Not quite. This is how others judge you. <laughs> okay. There's an external definition now that Jesus gave us too. This is what Jesus said. The world, okay, everybody around you, he 
says this in 1334 through 35. The external definition. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, <laughs> again, this is not about going to somebody else, but this is about looking at how does the world view you. This is what Jesus said. The world will know you're a disciple if you have love for one another. And this is the challenge, guys. This is a challenge. We're not going to, you know, it's not going to be all, you know, peaches and roses and puppies. <laughs> you know, like we, sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we just don't like somebody. Um, you know, that happens. But there's a reality that we learn to love. We learn to love one another through that. We don't have to like somebody and go be, you know, best friends and, you know, let's go hang out every day. But we have to love, meaning we have to look at them in the way that God looks at them, because that is our definition given to us, our external definition. How should the world around us view us or how, how would they know that we are disciples? It's because we love one another. OK, so and that's where that's where I'm kind of like locking this in for us and understanding our, our definitions. We have an internal definition to say we examine ourselves by asking and looking at our life. Are we abiding in the word of, Z of Jesus? Are we living to find out what did he do? What did he say in this situation? You know, what is he teaching me? And our external definition, are we showing love to other believers and disciples? Uh, one of the things that's very hard to do is to, um, when we see something we don't like, you know, on Facebook or Instagram, you know, to the comment or, or whatever, uh, this whole uh, Roe versus Wade, you saw some Christians acting one way, some Christians acting another, and all of it online. Now, that's not a testimony of good disciples. When they're all arguing and this and that, we should have clarity in the words of Jesus. And, and let me say this, abortion is something that Jesus does not align with. Okay? Jesus is against that thought. So I know that may be offensive to some, but the reality is that Scripture does not teach us anything else. Jesus is against abortion. Okay? So that's something that, you know, it, it, it's hard. You're like, I don't love you. I, I don't like what you're saying. That's fine. But the reality is, are you looking at yourself to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you love another believer? <laughs> okay? External definition. And then we get to this place, the ultimate goal of the disciple, the ultimate goal of the disciple is to be his friend. Now, I'll read this scripture, but I wanted to share a story with you. We, we were in Germany. We were working with the refugees, and we had a guy, and I've shared this story a few times to a few different people, but he, uh, this guy, um, we don't, like, literally, you, you, he wasn't allowed to be on camera. We weren't allowed to say his name uh, because he was, like, literally being hunted, <laughs> They wanted to kill him, even to this day. Okay, he is a former uh, Muslim who had an encounter with Jesus and just began sharing the gospel. And they wanted to kill him because he was sharing this truth that was unstoppable because of who he was in the Muslim world. Okay, so so I'm sitting there and I'm asking him, so so what? Like, how did you come? Like, what happened, man? Like, like where did you come to know Jesus? Like, what was the situation? And he tells me, he says, well, it was a few different things. He said, so he said that there was in, in his country where he's from, the Christians are the poorest of the poor. They're the lowest of the low, outcasts of society. 
And he said that there was this Christian guy who would sweep in front of his, in front of his mosque. And so he said he's going to his mosque and this Christian guy was sweeping and, and the guy's homeless. He lives on the street and he's sweeping the, the sidewalk, okay, keeping it, keeping it clean. And, and he's walking by him and he says that the Christian guy stops him and says, hey, can I pray for you? <laughs> and the Muslim guy's like, you know, sure, whatever. You know, whatever, yeah, go ahead. You're, you're a homeless guy. You got major issues. I'll let you pray for me. So he prays for him and he says that it was the shortest prayer he's ever heard and he said it was just like, Jesus, use him for your glory. And that was it. That's all he prayed. And he said from that moment, it was just like a, okay, yeah, whatever. All right, all right get away from me because you smell. Like that was a type of situation, okay? So then he goes on and he goes through this, like he's going through life and he's a pretty well-known dude. But then he said he had this, this dream. And he said in this dream, he says he's in this room and, and he walks, he sees a door, he sees like a big door and he goes to the door and he opens the door. And when he opens the door, he's, and this is a dream. This wasn't real life, but it was a dream. He said he sees this man sitting on this throne. And he said, and, and this man sitting on the throne is like, like, come in. He says his name. He's like, come in. And, and the guy in the dream is like, like, who are you? Like, you know me. <laughs> and the guy's like, come in, come in. And then he says there's this table in front of him. And it's filled with all of these, like, nice things, great food. He said just all these, like, like anything you could think of was there in that room. And he said he walks in and this guy's like, come in. He's on the throne like, ah, I've been waiting for you. And, and he was just like, he walks in, he's just like in shock. And he says right away he knew this man had more authority than he's ever seen. He's ever known. He had all the authority. But he knew him. And he said he walked in and he said he says his name and he walks closer to him and he says, well, what is all this? And the guy on the throne tells him, he says, well, this is for you. And the guy's sitting there going like, What? And he's like, yeah, I've been waiting for you. And he says he woke up from the dream. And he said from that moment, he began to search because he knew what he had believed, that there was a higher, a higher authority. And he says, who was that man? He began searching and finds Jesus and says, this is Jesus. This is who was in my dream. And so his life changes, right? And so the more we're talking, the more we're talking about ministry. And this guy does crazy stuff. And, and he's been in the hospital, I think, like, they tried to kill him three times. Um, they beat him and thought he was dead. They beat him so bad, he was in a coma. So this is the type of situation this guy lived in. And um, we're talking, and I'm just like, bro, like, how, do you, how do you just, how do you go? Like, he's the guy you get around, and you're like, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> like, like, man, this guy's a Christian. I'm not. Like, he, it's just like, wow. And he's just sharing all this stuff with you. And then I'm listening to him, and I'm like, how do you just keep going through this? Like, how do you keep going? They, as soon as he became a Christian and converted to Christianity and, and, and denounced his, his belief in Islam, he said, I, I believe in Jesus. He is Lord and Savior of my life. They took his wife and his son from him, and they gave him away. He has never seen them since that day. Because what happens is in their faith, if you convert, you're, you're an infidel. So you can't, you can't be in, in relationship with your, your family anymore. And I, I sat there going, what? And he's just like, this happened. Um, it was horrible. And I'm just, what? <laughs> Where are they? Have you tried to talk to them? And I'm sitting there with Vanessa and Esai. And we're right there just, and I'm like, I, I can't imagine. And so he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, how do you, like, how do you keep going? Like, they tried to kill you. They've taken the things that were most important to you. And he says, you know, in this time, I have found a friend 
in Jesus. And he is all I need. And, and sitting there, I was just so convicted because it was like, man, like this, this, this idea of who Jesus is and, and we look at it and we think it's such a distant thing of like, like, oh, well, Jesus is this. When the reality is, man, Jesus wants to be here with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to sit there in those hard times and just understand you. To sit there and just put his arm around you when you're going through it and say, I love you. I'm with you. You're, you're alone. You're scared. It's, it's, I know the situation is crazy, but I'm with you. And so in this, we see the ultimate goal of the disciple is to be his friend. And why do we see that? Because in John 15, 12 through 15, it says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay? And then he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. This is where we need to go. This is our aim. Okay, Jesus said this in the Bible. No longer are you my servants. I call you my friends because I've made known to you all that the Father made known to me. And the reality is this, if we're not pursuing this relationship with Jesus that says, Jesus, I want to know everything you talked about. I want to know how you lived. I want to know what you did in this situation. I, I want to know what you would do in this situation. And we get mixed up in all the other things, then that's not a disciple. A disciple says, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want to end up your friend. And, and, and I'm telling you, this, uh, this guy, his testimony, there's more stories more stories that he shared that I was just like, oh my gosh. And, and like I said, we, he wasn't allowed to be on camera. We didn't, we didn't show his face. We didn't, we didn't talk about him. They even did a video where he's sharing about what's going with the ministry he's doing. And they only filmed like his hands, you know, like just that type of situation. But it's, it's just something where it's like this, this person, when he said that, you know, that, that through all of this, I, I have this friend that he just, he's with me. I know, like he's with me. He says, when I walk into somewhere where I know I could die, I'm not walking in alone. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. Okay? This is this whole series. This is what we're talking about. How do we become? How do we aim to be a friend of Jesus? Not just a practitioner, not just a fan, not just someone that comes to church and says, you know, like, oh, you know, I made it to church. But someone that literally walks out, goes home, goes to work, and is, and is looking for the voice of Jesus to say, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you teaching me? How do I respond in this? How do, this whole situation, what do I do in this? I'm going to ask Pastor Jeremy to come up. But to clarify in this, these three areas, a disciple abides in the words of Jesus, loves other believers or disciples, and aims to become a friend of Jesus. And, and let me tell you guys, um, there's been moments in my own life where we, we get caught up in what we're doing. We get caught up, you know, in, in you know, setting things up or, or like doing all these other things. But there are moments that have to happen in your life where you pause and you, you pause and you say, Jesus, is this making you happy? 
Are you pleased with this? Are, are we doing what you're asking? Are, are we aiming to know you more, to be your friend? That's the disciple. The disciple doesn't say, you know, let's, let's do this, let's do that, all these events and everything else, and, and then forgets who they're doing it for. Let's stand. I want to read this last scripture and then we'll pray. But we're looking at this uh, in John 1.35. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Okay? And this is John the Baptist now. John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. I want to point this out because John the Baptist recognized Jesus. He was like, behold, look who it is. That alone, to think about if Jesus walked into this church, <laughs> would we know him? Like, think about that, man, in a real way. Like, if he walked in and, and he just came in and started saying hi to everybody, would we be like, hey, I, I know you. I know who you are. Because that's what happened. John the Baptist recognized him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turns to them and says, uh, and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What I'm saying is in this moment, there was a recognition of Jesus. And these guys were, were there and they were like, that's him. And, and they literally, nothing mattered. You know, they were, they were involved with what they were doing. But they were like, oh, no, no, we're going with him. He's what matters. We're, we're going to follow him. He's what matters. we got to pursue him. It says that they left John the Baptist and they went with Jesus. And looking at this, man, all of us here today as disciples, if we're going to say we're disciples, we are going to abide in the words of Jesus. We are going to love other believers and disciples. And we are going to aim to become a friend of Jesus.